Think about a time when, no matter what you did or how hard you tried, things were stacked against you. Your efforts didn't seem to be accomplishing anything. Well, commitment is measured by perseverance. The man or woman who's genuinely committed to the Lord will persevere, will faithfully follow the Lord through discouragement, opposition, and discomfort. The Apostle Paul's example will challenge you to greater commitment in today's lesson. What do you do when everything seems to be against you? What do you do when when even your friends and family become obstacles in the path that God has for you? Well, today, we're going to set sail here on our journey. We're going to see how the Apostle Paul deals with that very situation here in Acts chapter 21. Now, as Paul begins his, his journey to Jerusalem, everybody, by the way, is urging him not to go. He said that tearful farewell to the Ephesian elders. He sails from Asia Minor. He eventually reaches Tyre there on the Mediterranean coast just north of Israel. And he's, he's spending uh, several days, seven days, in fact, there with fellow believers. Verse 4 tells us, through the Spirit— They were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. In other words, they're they're aware prophetically that that suffering awaits Paul in Jerusalem, and so they beg him not to go there. But but Paul is already aware that that's going to happen. Back in chapter 20 and verse 24, he described his trip to Jerusalem as as a ministry assignment received directly from the Lord. He knows it's God's will for him to suffer as he continues uh, in his ministry. And again, I said it before, I want to say it again. I wonder how many of us pastors, church leaders, would stay in the ministry if we knew trouble was ahead, or stay in the ministry if there wasn't a benefit package, or church growth like we'd like it, or, or some peaceful retirement in a cottage one day. Well, Paul isn't going to slow down. He continues on to Caesarea. He meets Philip the evangelist. In fact, verse 8 reminds us that Philip was one of the seven deacons chosen back in Acts chapter 6. This is the same Philip, by the way, who evangelized the Samaritans. He's the same Philip who met that Ethiopian eunuch uh, back in chapter 8. Now, at that point, Philip had disappeared from Scripture. And now for the first time in a long time, he shows up again here in chapter 21. Verse 9 tells us that Philip has four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Now, they have that fading away gift of prophecy. It's going to be replaced by completed Scripture. Well, why they're mentioned here isn't very clear, though they may have confirmed Paul's future suffering. Well, now another prophet arrives at Philip's house with a message for Paul, verse 10. A prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Well, that was dramatic. (laughs) Evidently, Paul's going to be arrested. He's going to be tied up. He's going to be put in jail. 
Now, when they, they hear this prophecy, verse 12 says the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. I mean, they, they take a vote, and it's unanimous. Now, keep in mind, their advice is certainly well-meaning. It's kind. It's gracious. But they're effectively saying, Paul, think about what's good for you. Certainly, God doesn't want you to be in prison, bound, thrown in jail. Well, Paul replies here in verse 13, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. God's will isn't bound to my comfort, Paul is saying. Now, now Paul isn't looking forward to imprisonment. He, he's not looking for a badge of honor to get thrown into jail. He, he desires the will of God more than anything else. And his example, uh, by the way, doesn't give us an excuse to ignore biblical advice from godly friends or, or just to stubbornly insist on our own way. But in this case, Paul knows what the Lord wants him to do. So this is a reminder that, that God's will is not a matter of majority opinion, even when your friends are Christians. This is also a reminder, beloved, that, that God hasn't guaranteed us a, a, a safe journey through life, but he has guaranteed us a safe arrival home to heaven. Well, Paul's going to continue, and he does so, on his way to Jerusalem. He's got Dr. Luke with him and some others. Uh, Luke writes here in verse 17, when we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers, that is the assembly, the church, received us gladly. Well, Luke reports for us that the next day, Paul and his entire missionary team meet with Pastor James and the elders of the Jerusalem church. Uh, Verse 19 records that Paul begins uh, detailing for them God's amazing work among the Gentiles on his latest missionary journey. Uh, We're told that they all begin rejoicing at what God is doing. However, the celebration uh, barely has a chance to, to get off the ground, and some concerns are voiced. Verse 20, they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed, they are all zealous for the law. Yes, the church is, is very grateful for thousands of Gentiles coming to Christ, but they're worried. They're anxious. They're, they're telling Paul about thousands of Jews who, who not only believe in Christ, but they're still zealously attempting to keep the law of Moses. Well, here's the problem. Verse 21, they had been told about you, Paul, that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Well, frankly, that isn't true. Paul hasn't told the Jews to forsake Moses. He simply declared that the rituals of Judaism are not necessary for salvation. Paul isn't against the law. He's trying to explain grace and this new dispensation, this new era called the church age. But by now, there are thousands of Jews in the Jerusalem church and surrounding regions that have been poisoned against Paul. Well, here in verse 22, the elders ask Paul, what then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Well, Paul, he hadn't thought about this, so he doesn't have a plan to counter these false rumors. But the elders have been thinking about it, and they have a plan. Verse 23, we have four men who are under a vow 
Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there's nothing in what they have been told about you. Now let me break down this plan. These four men are fulfilling a Nazarite vow, which is completed with the cutting of their hair. You didn't cut your hair while under this vow. These men must first go through a seven-day period of purification. This is all ceremonial, according to Judaism. Paul is to join them in the purification and then personally pay for the sacrifices these men are going to offer in the temple when they complete their Nazarite vow. Well, the elders believe this plan is going to show that, well, Paul has respect for Jewish customs and ceremonies, and and Paul is happy to do this. It doesn't violate the truth of the gospel. It answers the rumors that Paul is anti-Moses, anti-Old Testament. And so they're hoping this will settle the rumor that Paul wants to offend Jewish people. Now, some would argue that Paul shouldn't have gone along with this plan that it compromised rather than than courageously uh, defended the new dispensation of grace that made these vows, all these ceremonies of purifications, unnecessary. I agree that that Paul's trying to to be accommodating here, uh, but either way you take it, Paul isn't going to be allowed by God to fulfill this plan. And I have to tell you, my opinion is I'm glad that he didn't. It's quite possible that, that God wanted to prevent Paul from reinforcing these Jewish ceremonies. Well, here's what happened. At the end of the seven days, Paul and these four men go to the temple to make their sacrifices, and some Jewish men there recognized Paul and immediately stirred up the crowd against him. They said these words here in verse 28. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law and this place. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. Now, these charges are completely false. Paul wasn't bringing Gentiles into the temple, but this crowd is immediately whipped into a religious mob and they begin beating Paul. Roman soldiers are posted Uh, nearby, and they rescue Paul and take him into custody. Uh, They're assuming he's some kind of troublemaker, and they carry him toward the Roman barracks. They're going to keep him under lock and key. So get this scene here. Here's, Here's Paul, misunderstood and misrepresented by Jewish believers, discouraged by other Christians from following God's will, He submits to a plan that isn't sinful, but probably isn't the wisest plan to follow. He's trying to settle down rumors, and now only more surface. He's falsely accused. He's now beaten and arrested. And all of this simply for trying to fulfill the best of intentions. Frankly, I have to tell you, beloved, it seems that Paul can't win no matter what he does. Well, what's going to happen next? Well, because we're out of time, we're going to have to find out on our next wisdom journey. Until then, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey and a lesson he called, When Everything Seems Against You. 
This is the Wisdom Journey. Stephen is the president of Wisdom International. Our ministry produces biblically faithful resources designed to help you know what the Bible says, understand what it means, and apply it to your life. I hope you're finding that to be true. If you have a comment, a question, or would like more information about our ministry, you can send us an email if you address it to info at wisdomonline.org. We'd enjoy hearing from you. It's always encouraging to learn how God's using our ministry to equip and encourage you. Write and tell us at info at wisdomonline.org. Our mailing address is Wisdom International, P.O. Box 37297, Raleigh, North Carolina, 27627. And our phone number is 866-48-BIBLE or 866-482-4253. Contact us today. Be sure and join us again next time to continue through God's Word on the Wisdom Journey. 